where is God in all of this madness? We often ask ourselves, where is God indeed? While Nietzsche alludes to humanity foolishly killing the spirit of God and the church, there is a lesson to be learned with Freddy's provocative statement. Let us consider our own modality. We delude ourselves into thinking that the perfect argument will sway a reactionary's opinion. We think that if only we could say the right word, the right phrase, to express ourselves in the most articulate way possible, that a person on the opposite side of an argument will change their opinion or worldview. Sadly, this is not the case. For the most part, a person's mind has already been made up already. The person to whom you are trying to desperately communicate an idea to has already decided that you are contemptible and worthy of death simply because you are offering something other than that which they have accepted. Today, this death is metaphorical. Death of the mind, death of the spirit, death of the intellect, death of ability. No need to throw stones or put a knife to anyone's throat. Dropping bombs and firing bullets is a uh, passé form of warfare. Today's death is excommunication from society until you repent and atone for your sins. If atonement is even possible with today's apparent priests and gatekeepers, the judges and juries of social justice from the Ministry of Public Opinion. If we don't like you, well, we will ostracize and shun you. Take away your toys and your pleasures and maybe even your ability to sustain, your, sustain yourself. The courts of public opinion have determined that you are anathema, and you must be silenced. Crucify! Crucify! Sound familiar? If this is not making much sense, please indulge me a bit further. For the deist, it seems that the prayer is, if only God would, everything would be all better. This prayer is often met with a seeming silence. And God has been silenced since his ascension and subsequent transubstantiation. For the Christian, God planted the seeds of truth and reconciliation with himself and mankind and gave humanity the keys to the kingdom of heaven and earth. God promised that whatever is bound in the temporal would be bound in the eternal and whatever is loosed in the temporal would be loosed in the eternal. God promised his return in tri uh, terrifying triumph, and until then his faithful and elect in Christ were to facilitate the orders of prophet, priest, and king in order for the traditions of God's gospel and glory to carry on throughout the generations. God commanded us to repent and sin no more, to adhere to the definitions and rules of order, and not devolve into our baser desires but to step up to the godhood that was promised us as inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. One might wonder, what else does God actually need to say when the, eternity, uh, when the promise of an eternity of glory, peace, and godhood has been guaranteed all of humankind, when all one needs to do is repent of using God's world in ways that are wrong? When Jesus stood before Pilate after he was betrayed by his own people, he was questioned. It was not a question of truth or a question of understanding who this Palestinian Jew from Nazareth was. Pilate was likely already well aware as to who the man standing before him was and the accusations about him. It was rhetorical. 
Jesus said nothing because there was nothing more he could have said. His silence to not defend himself was deafening and louder than any proud speech or eloquent word that could have been conveyed. He was innocent as far as Rome was concerned. He was not leading an uprising or a revolt. Instead, it was Jesus' own people that had condemned him for his deeds and teachings and claims. To the Romans, another Jew claiming the Messianic title was just another day. When Jesus said, repent, humanity responded by getting louder and angrier. Simply put, there is no word or deed that God could say for humanity to change or stop the downward spiral trajectory that humanity is bent towards simply because humanity is assured of its own piety and self-righteousness. The phrase, pride before the fall, is entirely applicable here. When you have such hubris and self-efficacy, it is nearly impossible to stop someone from repeatedly running headlong into a brick wall, despite the fact that their skull is crushed and they are bleeding out. Humanity has willfully chosen to close its ears to God. God is simply not welcomed in society. To speak of him is anathema. The very mention of God is disgust. God is accommodating and entertains his creation, but while God is eternal, his temporal patience is not. God quietly will allow humanity to go down this road of madness that it has willfully chosen to go down. God will also allow people to hunt and persecute the seekers of truth, decency, humble righteousness, and reconciliation with God through the incarnate Messiah. God will allow people who have already made up their minds over this or that to continue with their ears closed and their mouths open. This is why when God returns, there is said to be a period of silence. It is during this time when God's patience will have reached an end. God will step onto the stage of humanity and all the flapping mouths will cease and the terror of truly lost hope will be realized. On the other hand, the humbling of hope fulfilled will be embraced by those who have bent their hearts, their minds, and their wills to God's own, the repentant and faithful to and in Christ. God's silence is not his ambivalence towards humanity. It is God giving all humanity a chance to be redeemed. God's silence is, in fact, an act of mercy by way of attrition. It is with the intention that as many people will stop kicking that which they cannot possibly kick against. Humanity is like a toddler who foolishly thinks that by screaming and making a scene that they will get what they want. Sadly, there are many parents who give in to this type of behavior and in turn produce terrible, spoiled, and entitled adult babies. We see the fruits to this giving in every single day people incensed with their own self-importance, demanding that the world uh, around them bend to their own will, demanding that they are seen as how and how they want to be seen rather than how they actually are. Find something to dislike about someone, and any word that comes out of their mouth is poison. Ignore all truth, in fact, because the person who is saying it is hateful. Find reason to close one's eyes and ears and scream at the top of your lungs, not to inform or share an insight, but to drown out the words and insights of someone else. This is the current state of civil and academic and theological discourse. God could step in front of such a person, 
Tell them the one thing that would set their lives on a trajectory to peace. To put away or take up just that one thing, likely that one thing that they don't want to pick up or put down. And because a person is so bent to their own will and understanding of reality, they would entirely reject God because the one thing to put their lives in order would be the one thing that they absolutely do not want to give up. So ask yourself, what more needs to be said? Has God not already informed us that the whole of the law, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your might, and being is the path to righteousness? Has God himself not already informed us that those seven devices of sin, those seven disorderly vices, are what a person must reject in order to be made right with God? Has God not already informed us that one must repent of their sins while accepting the sacrifice of one Messiah and putting one faith in one Christ who is God incarnate? Has God not already promised the kingdom of heaven in eternal glory and unity with himself? What else does God need to say? Is there some phrase, some trick that you are waiting for? Is there some magic behind the curtain that you are expecting to be revealed? Oh, right. You are totally depraved and you cannot help but to sin. Or maybe you've been taught that only the elect have the privilege to know God. Well, the Gnostics believe this too, and so too do the Kabbalists. You have been promised all things, and yet you do nothing with it. You are like a child who wants more, begs for more, and when more is given, you toss it on the ground like a petulant brat, smashing that which you have been given because it no longer pleases you. You take your treasures and you treat them like Christmas toys, happy the moment you rip off the wrapping, only to immediately shove them away in the toy box, forgotten until your plastic treasure sees the light of day underneath the hot sun of a yard sale. Another way to look at it would be as such. Humanity's valuation of God's promises are like standing in line for the latest must-have thing of the year, only to immediately, upon reception of the thing, shove it in our pockets and look forward to the promise of the next year's latest and greatest thing. Humanity would rather take the salvation that is offered through a screen rather than salvation offered by an eternal God simply because the screen is shinier and prettier than the calloused hand of a carpenter who was sacrificed with his own tools of the trade. Humanity would rather drink waters that have been pottled in plastic and that would fill up landfills and sold through a box store rather than the water of eternal life from the purest fountainhead of truth. Humanity is more concerned with eating gluten-free bread and drinking grape-flavored sugar-free water rather than bread that was kneaded by hands and wine that was pressed with the feet that is rich from the vine because they don't want the sacrament to interfere with their gluttonous diet. And people still ask, why is God silent? God is silent because you, until you have decided that you have had enough that your will is simply insufficient to his will, 
Until you put down the noise and the toys and the candy and the stupidity when you have finished throwing your temper tantrums and acting like spoiled children at the all-you-can-eat buffets. When you stop mindlessly getting packages from wherever because you can't stop filling your houses with future garbage. When you actually sit still during the time of corporate worship without having to check your phones or your watches because you were already on to the next thing. Then maybe... You can stop for a moment and realize that God has been talking to you this entire time, calling you home to repentance, convicting your heart to condemn your sins, and so very much wanting to sanctify you in his grace. But your stubborn and foolish hearts yearn for treasures here on earth. You think that the battles that are needing to be fought have anything to do with the social justice wars or the social media wars or the information wars or the telecommunications wars or the wars of this and that and the rumors of wars and the fake wars. And while all these things can be very important, they are nothing compared to the battle that is fought internally every single day when your heart is convicted to do good and to repent. And still you make the comment, the post, the purchase, and you gaze upon the porn and wage war against your neighbor over grass that is an inch too high. Where is God in all this madness? Where God always is. And where God always has been. And always will be. In eternity. Waiting for the day and the hour that God so chooses to step onto the stage and end the simulation of this reality and look straight through every excuse, every justification, every reason why you never put to death the sin in your own heart that has been so plainly manifesting itself in your daily bread. And when God does return in triumph and glory, make no mistake, there will be nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, and you will be face to face with all of yourself, unclothed, naked, with the whitest, brightest light directly on you. Your finger pointing, petitioning to God, fix this, will instantly start right back with you and your own iniquity. So if you want God to come back and fix the world, heed this as a warning. Now is the time to fix within yourself all that God has already convicted in your heart to be fixed. Fix within yourself your mind that God has already convicted in your mind to be fixed. Fix your body with that which God has already convicted your body to be fixed. Stop pretending to be this or that. Stop thinking that you are anything other than that which is plain for all to see. Stop wearing the costumes of identity or thinking that one aspect of your being is the whole of your identity. Embrace the identity that God has entirely made for you. Embrace the saving grace of Yeshua of Nazareth, God incarnate, who called you to repent of the impropriety that you have personally caused. God is calling you. You just simply have to listen to that which he has already said. Folks, thank you for taking the time to listen to the words that I have said. My name is John, and this has been Hovering Over the Deep. Until next time, I bid you good day. God bless.